Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I have a good one for you. I actually have quite a few interviews lined up in the next few weeks. Just been interview happy lately. Normally, I don't do a lot of interviews, but you're going to see a lot of interviews in the next upcoming podcast. And today is a great interview to start it all off. I'm interviewing Lauren Spiegelmeyer, and she is the founder and executive director of the Behavior Hub. And she is also a UPenn professor in the trauma invested schools. And she teaches teachers and parents and administrators and those that work with children and people in general, how to have a holistic approach to behaviors. And I find her fascinating. I always like to hear other people's approaches and tap into how they word it, how they approach it, what ways they kind of simplify it. And I like Lauren's style because she does break it down in very simple terms. And that's that's the name of the game for me as a parent. And as a therapist is break it down, make a complicated thing, very simple and something that I can carry out today. And that's what she does for us in this episode. She's going to go through the four steps, four simple steps on how to help your child self-regulate. And I really find them very practical. They completely resonate with me. There are things that I teach in my behavior class. And I didn't know that because Lauren and I just met and just started talking about these things. So we're very aligned and I think you're going to really enjoy this interview. So before we jump into that, I just want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast because you don't want to miss these episodes and without subscribing, you're not going to get notified and you're going to forget about me. So hit subscribe so that you can get these instantly in your phone or on your iPad or wherever you listen to your podcast. Okay. Well, without further ado, here is my interview with Lauren. Well, I want to welcome Lauren to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So we're going to be talking about self-regulation, which is actually probably one of the number one things that I get asked, even though I'm an anxiety and OCD therapist, behavior and self-regulation are things that parents constantly want help with, which isn't surprising because it feeds into anxiety and OCD as well. So you are a perfect guest to have on the show because you have so much wisdom around self-regulation, around behavior. And I think you come from a different perspective than I do. I think you offer a lot of insight that I don't have, like we complement each other. So before we get started, if you can tell people who you are before we dive into it. Sure. I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer. I founded the Behavior Hub, an organization that works on self-regulation, emotional regulation through a very holistic approach. So psychological supports, nutrition education, physical exercise. And then when I'm not doing that good work, I am teaching and course creating at the University of Pennsylvania in their their trauma and stress program. Yeah. A lot. You're a very busy woman. I am a busy woman. Yeah. So we're going to talk about four simple steps to help kids self-regulate. And I love when, you know, we make it simple and parents can have like quick takeaways. So let's dive into it. Let's talk about the first quick step. Yeah, for sure. So the first step in in this program, and I think probably the most important step of any self-regulation program is emotional categorization. So kind of defining 
where you are, where a child is on this continuum of emotions. And you have to first know where you fall in order to make a change to that emotional state. So the, the first step in the, the blueprint that I have created and use for our organization is it's a four domain chart. So you might've seen something similar to it. Usually people will associate it with colors. I know the alert program, the zones of regulation, they're all similar programs. So essentially you would have four different domains. The first domain is like a low energy. So it's sad, it's sick, it's tired. Maybe categorize that as blue because blue can be associated with lower energy. The next area would be green, and that's your optimal energy. You're calm, you're focused, you're ready to go. That's, that's what we're aiming for. The next area where kids don't usually spend a whole lot of time is maybe just getting the slightest bit out of control, or you might be getting frustrated or wiggly or too excited. And typically, this would be associated with the color yellow. And the last of the four domains is red and associated with loss of emotional control. So screaming, tantrums, uh, hitting, biting, all all those behaviors we we don't want to see. So do you have a visual, you'd recommend a visual for parents to maybe have a color chart or something where they can kind of have their child say, what color are you? Yeah. So I I kind of double dip there. So I will usually do colors, especially for younger children, because it's easier for them to associate a visual with that emotion because emotions are such an abstract thing. And we can look in the mirror and we can look at pictures and we can learn different emotions, but to have a, a chart, a continuum to say like, this is where you fall. This is where the temperature of your emotional state is. And you could, you could use a thermometer with colors as well. Uh, and I typically recommend trying to incorporate something on that chart that is of motivation to the child. So I will encourage parents to choose like movie characters or book characters and choose a character to represent each zone. So maybe you're doing inside out is a great example because you've got characters that represent each one of those zones. So you might have sadness represent the blue zone. You might have joy represent the green zone. You would have maybe disgust uh, or fear represent the yellow zone. And then you'd have anger represent the red zone. And that, that can be any anything that the child has a, a strong association with. They can recognize themselves as relating to something else they know. It's interesting how you have sadness, then happy. You know, which makes sense really, I think, when you think about it through an energetic standpoint, that totally makes sense. But I don't think I would have organized it that way. So I think that's interesting. So this would be separate, and I'm talking to my audience more than you, but I do a lot of one to 10 where I have like, you know, feelings, skills, a lot of times with anxiety and OCD, like the SUDS is what we call it, which is we're like rating one to 10 on the stress scale as far as, you know, do you want to do this exposure or this challenge? What number are you? So I think a lot of people in my audience who are diving like way deep into all that stuff are used to the scale, but I think this would be a good separate thing because it is different. It's not hierarchical in the way that the one to 10 is, you know, where like one is great and 10 is bad because sadness is below it. So, Mm -hmm. and I love tying it to characters. I think that's awesome, but you can even use this with teens. You know, I think saying just what color are you? How would you adapt it? Yeah. I mean, if I'm doing teens and and color seems too immature for them, I might just do numbers or I might just talk about there are four zones. Like we, we, we live in this continuum of emotion and it's one, two, three, four, or whatever it is that they can associate with it. And just as long as there's, they can see that there are four different distinct areas. And the biggest thing here is I tell us teachers and parents all the time is it's not wrong to be in blue or yellow or red. That's not wrong. It's not wrong to feel emotions. What could be considered wrong is your response 
to those emotions. So, so assuring all children that it's, you're not in trouble. You're not bad because you're in yellow or red. That just gives us information. And the information is I need to do something to get back to green. So that's my focus on changing my state. Yeah. And I love that because I think sometimes parents, you know, we don't convey that message inadvertently. And then I'll, I'll work with kids and they'll say, you know, I'm not, I wasn't bad. I wasn't angry. And you're like, well, bad and angry are not synonymous. Like it's okay to have feelings. It's just what you do with those feelings. That's what we're talking about. So, okay. So identify the feeling to get them to be able to label it. Mm -hmm. And then what is step two? Uh, So the biggest thing to, to just tap into that one more thought on that is I try and normalize those categories, those colors, those zones. So I'm constantly stating my zone and I'm sharing that like I go into the red zone and I might say to them, I'm feeling like I'm in the red zone or I'm feeling like I'm going into the red zone. And I associate that with people around us, like your brother, your sister, your friend, you know, all these people, they go up and down through the zones and that's okay. And what we need to know from that is once we're out of green, we just need to do something to get back to green. And that's what takes us into the next couple steps that we're going to talk about. Yeah. I love that. I know in my house, we talk about swirls. And I talk about like red swirls and people have listened to me. If, you know, when I talk about anger, I talk about red swirls and you could totally incorporate that. Mm-hmm. And in my house, we talk about throwing our red swirls on each other. And so my eight-year-old will always be like, you just threw all your red swirls on me. <laughs> you know? We talk about throwing up our feelings, you know, and it's not yeah. okay to throw them up on other people. So, okay. So step two. Step two is usually I will encourage families, teachers, parents to create some type of calming break area. So it's, it's not a timeout. It's very different than a timeout because it's not an area I'm forcing anyone to go to. It's something I'm creating with the child and it's something I teach and I model and I might use myself. It might be open to everyone in the house and it's just a space that we define. So it could be a couch. It could be a bedroom. It could be an actual setup area. It could be like inside of a, a small tent or inside of like a cardboard box, like whatever makes that child feel safe. And I usually give that area a name so I can kind of reference it of just the, the space. And the point of this is sometimes our emotional brains are so elevated when we stay in the energy of the situation because we match the other person's energy. So if they're upset, we get upset and it's just this battle of wills and power. If we can teach them to step away and take a break or we can model stepping away and taking a break and going to this area just for a minute or two or whatever we need to pause and maybe use de-escalation or regulation technique, then come back to the conversation or come back to the situation, we're going to be much more level-headed. Essentially, what we're trying to do here is we're very much jumping into the emotional brain and we're trying to get back into the thinking brain. And by removing ourselves from the energy of the situation, it allows us to get back into your thinking brain. Yeah, I love that. We are very aligned. We haven't really talked about this before, but we're very aligned. I have a behavior class and actually one of my steps is to go to their space. But I, ironically, I call their space their zone. Interesting. (laughs) In my house and well, and what I teach in my behavior class is go to your zone, go to your zone. So it's funny. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that finding that space and I think a lot of times parents will say, well, what if they don't want to go there? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I get that question almost every time I introduce the situation and, or the strategy. And my thought is I don't want to force them there because it's not a punishment. I'm not sending them to timeout. I'm offering a strategy to use as a more almost preventative measure. So if they don't want to go, I will actually just take myself because it's likely that they're trying to, to be near me, be near my attention. So if my attention and my physical presence goes to that space, even if they don't come, I'm modeling still what to do. So they're still learning and I'm normalizing it. You go to their space. 
either if, if it's like a house shared space or a classroom shared space, I will go to, to the space. But if it's, they had their own space, I might define my own space. Now just model going to my space. Okay. But I, I do, especially for younger kids, I do spend time teaching role modeling drama. I role play through what does it look like? Like, when do I go there? How do I feel? What do I do? And how do I re-enter? Like the area has to be explicitly taught because if we're not teaching it, kids don't naturally just know how to go there and how to use right. it. They're confused by it. They might associate it with previous timeout and punishment. So right. it really has to be taught and practiced. Yeah. And I think that's such a good point because I think, and and I know that you you do a lot of teaching to to teachers and mm-hmm. um, you know organizations, which is fantastic. Yes. I'm going to relate this a lot, and we ha- I do have a lot of teachers who do listen, but I'm going to relate this to parents. I think it's so good to model because do we go to our what I call zones? You know, do we go to our zone and then do we verbalize it? So even if we are like, because I think I, I've worked with a lot of parents who will lock themselves in their bedroom mm-hmm. or they will lock themselves somewhere to get away from their child that's banging on the door, and that's not really the way we want to model it, but something similar to say. I need a break. You yeah. know, I'm at a red using your color thing. Mm-hmm. I need to go back to green. So I'm going to go to my, whatever you want to call it, you know, my safe spot or my zone or, right. yeah. And I think that that's something that I think a lot of parents actually don't do. And even if they do it, they don't verbalize it. So it can seem like they're trying to like escape their child or run away right. instead right. of, it's just a little articulation to say, right. I'm red and I'm going to go to green. You can pound on the right. door or whatever, but I'm going to put my headphones on and I'm going to green which is a little bit more in control. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that sometimes we we try and hide those strong feelings from our kids. I don't know if we're uncomfortable sharing them or letting them see them. And we think maybe it's not okay to have those strong feelings in response to them, but it is. We want to normalize those feelings. And same, I always encourage parents to to talk out loud, talk out loud, say say what you're feeling, say what zone you're in, talk as you go to the area, talk as you work through the area and talk as you come back so they can see the sequence, hear the sequence and see how it's done. Yeah. I I think that would be so good. Okay. Step three. Step three is (laughs) whether they go to the zone or they they don't. And and if you're in the community setting, if you're out the grocery store, wherever you might be, you might not have the option of the zone to go to. So the next step, the third step is teaching a plethora, essentially a toolbox of de-escalation and calming coping strategies. Uh, and they can range. I mean, it can be breathing for, for younger kids. Breathing can be tough. They don't, they're not engaged with it. So I try and make it really interactive. So we'll do movements with the breathing. We'll do like a rocket ship where we blow our hands up into the air. We will blow on something like maybe a whistle or if a whistle is not appropriate because the sound, it might be something like blowing up a balloon, like just something to get them to get air out because that helps to, to neutralize us. Uh, if it's not breathing, it could be resistance work. So like wall pushes, crab crawls, um, anything where they're lifting or pushing, kind of that proprioceptive input, that big pressure in the body and, and, and sensory input to the body. Uh, I do a lot of like muscle relaxation techniques. So I teach kids how to really tense up their muscles and hold them really tight and then let go. And that releases calming endorphins into the body and says to the system, like, settle down. I mean, even simple things, a drink of water can neutralize you, a breath of fresh air, putting your feet on the grass. Like if you searched kids calming, coping, de-escalation techniques on Google or Pinterest, I mean, you would get hundreds of ideas. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite website is uh, copingskillsforkids.com. 
She actually has coping skills decks, Janine Halloran. And so that's also a really great resource just to even have a deck of coping skill cards. She's got a bunch of different ones like relaxation cards and you can just pick a card, you know, and, or pick your favorite cards or, you know, have a list of your favorite coping mechanisms. I know my son loves to like squish himself in between his mattress. Like he wants that deep input. So those are, you know, good tips, like find what works for your kids. Yeah. You know, and get them to realize it because they're like coping skills just don't come naturally. I thought I find a lot of unhealthy ones do not the good ones. So they they have to be taught on some level or introduced like a menu. Absolutely. And I I spend a lot of time in all areas, but like the first, the first step is really important that emotional categorization. And I spend a lot of time here too, because I really want to build up that toolbox and I want them to pull the right tool out for the right job. So we, I reference it as a toolbox with them all the time. And the big thing is your brain defaults to whatever your natural behavior has been. So if we want them to stop defaulting to that screaming or hitting or tantrum, whatever it is, we not only have to teach this de-escalation technique, this coping strategy, but you have to practice it when they're calm. They have to practice it when their prefrontal cortex, when their thinking brain is turned on. And if you don't practice it over and over and over again, when they're calm, they're not going to be able to find it in their brain when they're upset. So we spend a lot of time doing that. And I know a lot of parents will say like, they don't want to practice them. And I'm like, I get it. It's not always fun to practice. So what I will do when I'm working with families and with kids directly is we will play games. So like board games or like I think of any back and forth game. I do Don't Break the Ice a lot or Kerplunk. And every time it's my turn or the child's turn, we, we practice a breathing technique or any type of coping technique. We just practice it on the spot there and we talk about when we use it. And because the game hides the work, the work gets done. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that I think that's a really good a good point. Because if you just say like, we're going to sit here and practice breathing, right. we're going to meditate, yeah. uh, you know, they're not going to do it. And it doesn't have to be breathing. You know, I think breathing is a really good one and bubbles. Sometimes I'll just, you know, kids will blow bubbles and they don't realize that you're actually having them breathe. My aggressive son, I think he would love to blow up a balloon and pop it. And so even if you're like, let's blow up balloons and pop it because we're angry, you're sneaking in breathing because he doesn't know that you're actually kind of doing a breathing thing in there. Right. So you can hide the work. Yeah. For your yeah butters, you know, which there's a lot of them. Mm Mm-hmm. I think the big thing there too, especially with kiddos that you guys, that you work with your, your population in general is giving up control. So can you find ways to give up control? Can you give them choices for what to practice, how to practice, when to practice, like all of these choice options, give them some level of control and give them more motivation to want to do it. Yeah. And, you know, I think some kids, especially the more aggressive ones, they don't want anything to do with coping mechanisms. They, they don't want anything to do with any of your ideas. So even if you don't even presented as a coping mechanism. Like one of my favorite ones is like for anger is blackout art, you know, where you just Mm -hmm. draw a bunch of, you know, colors Mm -hmm. and, but you can do that when you're, when your child's calm, let's do an art activity. You don't have to be good at art. This is more about like, you know, getting your anger out on your crayons Mm -hmm. and, you know, do all your rainbow. And so for anyone who doesn't know blackout art, it's like just doing a bunch of colors and then covering it with black, which for some people, when you're angry, like there's some reward in just coloring black over all your color. But then I like scratching it and you get that rainbow color that comes through the black. You don't have to even say that's a coping mechanism. You can get them into blackout art. And then when they're angry, you know, in their zone, just put out some crayons and some paper and there you go. Right. Maybe you want to do some blackout art. I don't know what you want to do. I always, yeah, I'm always like, I don't know what you want to do. Right, right. Yeah. 
I think I encourage parents to think about like you go through this process too. Like this isn't just for kids. Like these steps, this process is the same for you. It just looks different because it's an adult. And actually this, this program is derived out of work with the, the VA with psychologists that work with, with vets. So, you know, this is not just for kids, just it's sounding that way because I'm, I'm bringing it down to the level of the child, but think about what, what coping, what coping mechanisms do you use when you're upset? And if you don't know, I would encourage you to try and figure some out. Yeah. And I bet a lot of people don't know, you know, I think as adults, we don't do a lot of the stuff that we're teaching our kids because we were not taught it and we don't ever even think to incorporate it. And it's so much more powerful. I think when we model it for our kids and even articulate, you know, this is what I do. This is my way of coping, you know, or I'm breathing in, I'm smelling the pizza, cooling down the cookies, you know, like this is what I'm doing right now. So yeah. Right. And ultimately, like our, our brains are focused on safety and safety is kind of more of an emotional response. So we, we fall into that emotional brain. It's it's harder for us to stay in our thinking brain. So, so this approach to regulation is a very cerebral approach. It's a very thinking based approach. So it takes practice and time and commitment. And when it doesn't work, you have to get creative and think of, you know, what other types of coping mechanisms, what other type of calming space, what other type of chart can I create that, that my child will be motivated to use and don't give up hope because bi- biologically the way it's laid out, it makes sense. The brain, you know, that's the sequence we want to go through. Just how do we make it relevant to our kids? Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point because also I think sometimes there's this expectation of instant gratification. Like, I'm doing everything Lauren said, and I set up, you know, I did my colors and I did my, you know, my space and we did the coping mechanisms and my child's still having meltdowns. And I think a lot of times parents don't realize that this is a repetitive process, you know, that it takes a lot of practice. This is a hard thing for even adults to learn how to self-regulate and you're not going to find that success right away. And I think sometimes, and I don't know what you think, but sometimes parents base success on, does my child calm down quickly? Right. versus behaviorally. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I see a lot of that. I often see parents, teachers, all adults kind of overlook the little progression of steps. I'm like, they did that? And they're like, yeah, but they're not doing this. I'm like, but they're doing that. Like, that's huge. Like, they recognize what zone they're in. Like, it doesn't matter if they didn't go to the, the calm down area. They, they recognize what zone they're in. And that's a step in the right direction. They're showing that they have the ability to do this. And we got to celebrate that little step. Yeah, exactly. Because kids aren't going to learn this overnight. I mean, it took my son, who's 10, years of me telling him to go to his own and him not going and me like helping him go to his own, you know, and for him to now be like, you know, I'll be like, where is he? And he's like in between his mattress. (laughs) I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm calming down. (laughs) Right. Okay. You know, so I think planting seeds, I say that probably a little ad nauseum to my audience, but planting seeds is so huge. So a lot of what you're sharing today isn't something that's going to happen smoothly or naturally. I just want to give that caveat to those parents mm-hmm. that I can hear in my head. Right. And that this takes time. It doesn't go smoothly, but we're teaching them these steps. And right. if they stay in their in their calm down space and they scream for 30 minutes, they're in their calm down space. Right. It's okay. Right. Because right? sometimes right. parents will say, but he's still screaming. Right. <laughs> And I'm like, well, yeah. then get some headphones on. <laughs> it's not, he's getting it out. It's okay. Right. Yeah. And I think acknowledging that with our kids, because I think sometimes we, we just have the end goal in sight and then it's not enough. And then there's that inner belief that the kids develop, of, it's not enough. I'm never enough. I'm trying so hard and it's just not enough. And we don't want to instill that in our kids. So we're not there yet, but we're, we're getting there and you're, you know, you did something awesome. And I want to celebrate that you did something awesome. Yeah. Cause otherwise you shut them down. 
Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. But I think too, like it is tough, especially when you're in the situation. Like I, I get it with your parents, teachers, like when you're in that stressful situation, it seems like, what, what do I do? I don't know. That's where it's great to have, get a coach, get coaches, join a group, find people that you can talk to that that can help guide you and give you answers because they might be outside of your direct situation. So they might have other ideas that you didn't think of. Yeah. Support is always really important. What's the fourth and final step? Final step. So this is one is like so many teachers will, and, and parents too, will just kind of sometimes bypass this step that I, that I don't think it's neither necessary, but I'm like, ah, this is the educational piece. This is what changes the behavior for next time. And it's the most logical, the most cerebral part of the program, but it's such an important step. It's problem solving. So you've categorized your emotions, you're using this calm coping area, you're using the, the coping strategies, you're able to get back to neutral. But if no one teaches you what to do differently next time, you're likely going to do the same thing. So this is a very, very brief conversation with the child. And I start having this conversation with three-year-olds. Like I, I do it very young. It just looks different for each age group. But we're, we're talking about how the child felt, how I felt. So we're building that empathy and understanding, compassion, problem collectively come up with solutions. So I encourage parents to like get a blank piece of paper and write these down. If it's young kids, I'll usually have them draw out the solutions we come up with. Typically the first couple conversations, it's such a novel experience and it's, it's taking a lot of thought to come up with alternative solutions. If they knew the solution, they would use it. They don't know it yet. So it might take 90% of my ideas and only 10% of their ideas, but I'm showing them the sequence for this. So could again, you if, sequence if, again slower so parents yeah. get this. So how you felt, mm-hmm. how the child felt. So I'm doing child first. Okay. So I'm trying to validate and de-escalate them. Okay. So keep them de-escalated. So child first, and okay. I, I just use like I think you felt. Okay. Because I don't want to do the whole you like shame okay. blame. It's I you know I think you felt. I felt the problem is. Let's come up with some ideas. Okay. So when you say the problem is, let's walk through it. Can you do an example? Yeah. yeah okay. Sure. Uh, let's see, do you have a scenario or can you think of one that comes out frequently for your parents that we can put myself on the spot here? Yeah. I'm putting you on the spot too. (laughs) Yeah. So I can think of a situation like what if let's say a child was really upset that they had to get off their video games. Mm -hmm. This is a really common one. And so they kind of blew up and that was the issue. Right. So I might say something like, I think you were feeling like you, you wanted some more time on your video game. Validate what they wanted. What did they want? More time on their game. I'm feeling a little bit stressed out because we have a lot of things to do tonight. The problem is it's time for dinner. So next time when you want to go off your video game and it's time for dinner, what can we do differently? And that's where you come up with some ideas. And the, the big thing is no matter the age, I'm keeping this conversation as short as possible. The more long-winded we go, the more likely we are, we are to lose them. And I'll share in a moment a way to keep young kids engaged besides just the drawing component. But maybe it's, I advocate for myself. I ask for three more minutes. Maybe I, as a parent, give the child a choice. Do you want to turn it off now or do you want five more minutes? And you turn the timer on for five minutes. Maybe it is compromising and saying, if you can put that down and come to dinner now, you can have some time on after dinner and just coming up with solutions. And sometimes I'll even add in, and sometimes the kids will come up with like unrealistic ones. Like I have a child at school say, well, I'm going to rocket pack out of the school. And I was like, okay, <laughs> we'll write it down because it's not realistic, but it's still a solution. So I want to praise her for com- for thinking and coming up with a solution. That is so funny. <laughs> she was a creative one, <laughs> but uh, write them all down and then decide on one together. And then the next time that situation comes or you, you know, it's coming because you, you know, dinner's going to come, you know, they're going to get upset. You just remind them of the sheet and what they chose. Hey, remember 
what you said last time, we're going to do this when it's time to turn off the, the video game. And maybe it's, there's some practice in there. Maybe before that happens again, you role play through that situation and you actually get their brain ready to make the choice. And it doesn't always go smoothly. It takes some time. It takes quite a few attempts to get this conversation down, to make it your own language, to keep it short enough. I think sometimes right after the breakdown happens, it's not the best time for the conversation. It's maybe later in the night, later in the day, the next day. It doesn't need to be right after the situation. But for young kids, if I'm working with three, four, five, six-year-olds, I'm going to again play that game and I'm going to bring the paper to the game and we're going to play back and forth. That's when we're coming up with solutions and ideas. And I might not even directly tie it to them. I might make up characters that are going through the same problem and we solve the character's problem, kind of remove them from the actual emotion of the situation. I like that. I really like that because I think that that is, that's a very creative approach that I think sometimes is a good workaround when you have a child who doesn't want to talk about themselves is incorporate that. And I have quite a few members in my anti-parenting community who have young, young kids who aren't going to want to hear that message. They don't want to talk about their behavior. They shut down. And so incorporating it into their play and you can do that at a young age and they don't know. I mean, I'm always so surprised when I pull out puppets with kids and it's very clear that it's their issue, you know, when I'm doing the puppets, but they don't connect the dots or they don't at least verbalize that they're connecting the dots, which I think a lot of times they actually just don't. So you can find very creative ways of doing this process without having it directly have the puppets and the characters have similar issues. I like that. So this kind of reminds me of like the Ross Green collaborative approach. I love Ross Green. Yeah. I see a little Ross Green in this, you know, like we're going to collaborate. We're going to, this is how I felt. This is how you felt. Like let's come up with a collaboration Mm -hmm. of what the solution will be. So I think a lot of times parents don't swoop around and do that at the end. And I think that's such a critical part and a critical piece that's missing is that collaboration and that processing. Some parents over-process. So I really appreciate that you said short conversation. Mm -hmm. Yep. I usually script it out with parents. Like what language feels good to you? Let's come up with one sentence, one sentence, one sentence, one sentence. Here's your script of four sentences and, you know, pull this paper out when you do it or keep it on your phone or whatever it is. But the beauty of it is it's going to take a couple attempts but I've had, I worked recently with a five-year-old and we did it with her and it was a struggle for the family to do it with her. So I started doing it with her and we started doing it for situations long after they had happened a couple weeks in and she starts doing it herself in situations outside of the family or she'll lead the family into it. And she's like, I felt, I think you felt the problem is, and, and they're coming up with solutions. I'm like, that's, that's crazy to me. We, we don't even do that as adults. And this is a five-year-old that is able to, to well, learn this skill and apply it. It's because you make it so easy. Like your language is so simple that I think it just makes it very easy for anyone because I mean, I have a very bad memory and I can remember that, you know, like I felt, I think you felt the problem is, and then we can come up with the solution. It's so simple, but it's brilliant in its simplicity because I think we need simple um, instead of these are like the multi-step process that you need to do. And then you say this and they say this, and then you say this and they say that. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so lost. But you know, this four-step super simple process, any young child can do. They may not be willing to do it and that's okay because you just keep revisiting it or you talk about it in a different way. Or you could even just say, this is how I thought. You could do your part in it, even if they don't want to participate. You know, the same thing to parents. If the kids are just flat out refusing to participate, maybe it's not the time to do it. Maybe try it later or just go through the steps out loud yourself. They're still listening. Like they're in the couch acting like they're not listening. They're still hearing you. So say out loud, like, I think you felt, I felt, here's the problem. I'm going to come up with some solutions. 
I'm still going to go through this. <laughs> I'm going to try that today. I'm sure there'll be something that will happen. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's, you can use it outside of the four-step program. You could use it anytime there's a problem. Yeah, no, I think it's just a nice thing to like train your brain to think of yeah. think of those things. And kids won't realize that you're kind of doing like a step-by-step when you're just kind yeah. of articulating how you felt and how they felt. And yep. I like I mean, that. You can use it in your relationships too. I had a 71-year-old that was at a conference I was speaking at. He's like, this is brilliant. I'm going to use this with my wife. I'm like, you should, you should. Yeah, it's just, I think sometimes we need some sort of structure in how to communicate with other people in a way that is disarming. It's actually something you're going to be coming and talking to my AT parenting community about. Is it not next week, but I think it's the week after. Is it next week? No, it's the week after. I think it's next week. Oh, I I think the 11th. Yeah, they're very excited about that because disarming communication is like such a, it's nothing I ever talk about. But this reminds me of that as far as like just reducing, it's through validating what they're thinking. Mm -hmm. It's a respectful way to communicate. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. which definitely can help de-escalation. And like I said, if you have a child who doesn't want to communicate, because I get that a lot. So people are like, yeah, that was a great podcast, but my child's not going to do any of that. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Take what Lauren is saying and apply it to yourself, You know that you go to that calm down spot, that you say your colors, that you articulate your feelings and what you think that your child was feeling. And I mean, definitely in the moment, in the heat of the moment, that's not the time to do this. You know, If you have a right. child who's like, stop talking. <laughs> right, right. I think listen to them. <laughs> Yeah, trying to advocate for themselves. They're so quick to want to process things that they're not Mm -hmm. reading the room, you know, like your child's not ready for this. Yes. Maybe in a few hours, maybe tomorrow, you know, to revisit it. So I think too, to think of it as like a marathon, like there there are four simple steps. I tried to create something that could be embedded into your daily life without too much additional work or props or anything else, but it's still, it's still a marathon. You're still, you're working up. You wouldn't just learn something, decide you're going to run a marathon and just go out there the next day and run 26 miles. Just, it's not going to go well for you. So taking little steps, practicing, working up, the ultimate goal is to finish that marathon, you know, so be kind to yourself and and to your kids and just give yourself grace. That's an important message. Well, thanks for outlining that. I found like really helpful. I I love simplistic, helpful suggestions because I feel like there's so much depth in the simplicity, you know, that's learning how to speak in a different way and having Mm -hmm. just a simple format of, I'm going to think colors, calm down spot. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to talk about coping skills. And then we're doing our processing so simple, but yet so effective. And then you're teaching your kids how to be young adults, how to be productive adults. That's, we're not raising kids. We're raising adults and to teach them how to communicate. Oh my gosh, their partners and their friends in the future and their Mm -hmm. bosses are going to thank you. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> to have it's an huge, emotionally intelligent huge. adult, that yes. would be good. So That's good yeah. One. Where can people find you? You have a lot of amazing resources. Thank you. The best place to find any of the resources is through the website and that's thebehaviorhub.com. Lots of information on there that can lead you in other directions. It's behavior-hub or is it behavior hub? It's the behavior hub. Just all one word, okay. the behavior hub, no dash. Okay. Thebehaviorhub.com. And I will leave links in the show notes for everybody to find you, but you also have some online classes. I do. We are working on a five course program for emotional regulation. So there's one course, two courses, three courses, where you can do all five courses and they go through all of these things, the emotional literacy blueprint, communication, adult self-care, the brain, stress, it's a whole program that really teaches everything about emotional regulation. So those courses are being released bit by bit across the next five months. And the first couple have gone live. So you'll find those 
through our website on our online school. Yeah, that is awesome. And I'll leave a link in the show notes for that as well. So thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I hope that you found that helpful. I know there were some very simple takeaways from there. I would love to hear your takeaways. If you want to share them with me, I will love to hear that over at Instagram. trying to you know, be more hip these days. So follow me on Instagram at AT Parenting Survival. You can DM me and tell me your biggest takeaway from this episode with Lauren. I'd be happy to share it in my stories and tag her so that she knows that she was making a difference. It's nice to recognize the people that come onto the show with some accolades and some support. And we can do that by you giving me your ahas and I will share that with them. So come on over to Instagram and follow me at AT Parenting Survival and DM me. Now, just as a side note, you cannot DM me with the request for advice because I don't do that. It gets overwhelming. And my assistant answers the DMs and she will tell you that I don't give you advice. That way, if you want advice, you can always be one of my $5 mini coaching sponsors. And there's always links in the show notes on how to be a mini coaching sponsor. And I am doing mini coaching episodes where I am talking to people directly about their questions and answering them specifically and offering them some guidance and help. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please don't forget to hit a star on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcast. Leaving a comment or review is super helpful to other parents to know that there's some value in the show. And as a thank you, I always try to end my show reading one of those. I want to thank Roddy B123, who wrote, this is changing our lives. Thank you. I can't say it enough. We're just beginning the journey of OCD with our 11-year-old daughter. And this podcast, as well as your YouTube clips, is the first time I'm feeling not only hope, but the potential for joy, possibility, discovery, and peace. Thank you again and again. Thank you for taking the time to write a review. I'm so glad I'm having an impact in your life. That is my goal, is to be able to reach far and wide globally to offer parents in any corner of the world some support and hope for those that are raising kids with anxiety and OCD. So I'm glad that I'm doing that for you. And if you have something nice to say, maybe I'll be reading your review next time. Don't forget to find a sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.